Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you're encouraged and challenged as you listen to it. Enjoy. We're in Ephesians 6, so if you've got a Bible, you want to open it or click it open or whatever it is that you do. We've heard about the belt of truth and how if we're going to achieve anything, there will be opposition. And like a belt, it's truth that holds us together. And that truth is not just a lesson, but is found in a person. And that person is Jesus, correct? Let's be a people who experience the truth of Jesus through experience with Jesus. Then we heard about the breastplate of righteousness, that God created us for rightness with him, and we failed miserably. So a way was made for us to have right relationship with God. This was not one on our own merit or our own abilities. That's what I said. But through the death and resurrection of the most righteous person who ever lived, who is Jesus. So, just to give you a heads up, if you're kind of getting lost this morning, you're not sure where I'm going, you can safely assume that maybe Jesus will pop up somewhere. Let's make that assumption. Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us, Son of the living God. In Isaiah we read, He is wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, this should excite our hearts, church. These words should invoke something in our spirit that raises us up when we hear the name of Jesus. Church, can we fall in love with Jesus again? As we continue to learn about the armor of God, let's understand that it's not just a metaphor for us for putting on clothing, but it is Jesus who we are putting on. It is his truth as he walks with us and carries us through our doubts and our struggles. It is his righteousness as the mighty God of the universe looks upon us and sees us as pure because of the righteousness of Jesus. And as we look at today, it is his peace where we can anchor ourselves as all around us is in chaos. It is in him, through him, by him, and only him that we are here today and then we get to partake in his salvation and see his kingdom come to, to the earth. Amen? Jesus. Jesus. So let's read in Ephesians 6, 10 to 15. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you would be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. Uh, Luke talked to us about what girding your loins means. We still find the word funny. We're not getting over that having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness that was shared with us a couple of weeks ago by Neil. And then today we're looking at this and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, we ask that as we hear today from your word that you would share with us who you are. Lord, that we would know the mighty Savior Jesus, that we would again ignite in our hearts, Lord, that, that the soul man within us would claim more ground in us as we hear about who you are. Lord, I pray 
that the soul man in us would grow. By the soul man, I mean what it is, is we have, uh, it's biblical, we have this warring idea, we've got the flesh that is of this world that wars against the soul man, the God part of who we are when, when we become Christians. And we want our, our soul man to be fed this morning. We want the God part of us to alight in us and encourage us. So we're going to look at two things today. My three-point sermon that I usually do goes out the window. Two-point sermon. Okay, maybe that first bit about Jesus can be point one if you love a two-point sermon. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In another translation, it says this, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Steadiness and readiness. I went to London last weekend, and I was uh, with Christy. Some of you met her. um, And I was looking at Tower Bridge, and I was remembering when we'd gone down for the Olympics in 2012, and there was the Olympic rings hanging from Tower Bridge. And as I looked at Tower Bridge, I was like, it just doesn't look as as good. Like, genuinely, I just was like, just leave the Olympic rings on there. They looked amazing. I remember being really excited. And then I remembered the reason why I was really excited, because I love sport. I love the Olympics. And this week... If any of you are into sport, you know that the Athletics Diamond League has been on. And Asha Smith, who is, who is British, we love Asha Smith, um, in the last Olympics, she kind of had a bit of a, a rough time of it and she couldn't compete. But she came back from injury and she won a gold medal. Do you know Asha Smith won a gold medal? I'm really excited about it. And when you watch, thank you. <laughs> and when you watch a 100-meter race, do you ever notice how the athletes seem to spend more time preparing for the 100-meter race than actually racing? Like the longer distances, they just come on track, they stand on a line, the gun goes, and they're off. Whereas with 100 meters or 200 meters, they seem to be slapping their legs, they're jumping up and down, they're like doing crazy stuff, they're like focusing, and it takes them ages and ages and ages. And as they were doing this, and, and as I was watching this particular race with Dina Asher Smith, I found myself during this particular race focusing on the shoes. I wonder why that is in preparation for this week. Now, the shoes that people of Paul's day would have been thinking about when he talks about the shoes of peace would have been sandals that the Roman soldiers would have worn. They were leather strappy numbers that would have been all the rage for young ladies in 2004, if you remember them. All right, it's a bit of a joke, but at least you've got an image of what those sandals would have been like. They, they were actually Roman soldiers would wear what have been, they would have had flexible strapping, they would have been lightweight, they would have had tough soles, and they would have been hard-wearing. And also, they would have likely had small nails sticking out the bottom of them so that they could manage the ground that they were walking on, the terrain that they would spend so much time on. They had these little nails sticking out the bottom of them. And for me, a good modern-day equivalent is Asher Smith's running shoes. If you've looked at running shoes, they are, they're breathable, they're lightweight, um, they've got these small tacks on the bottom of them to help them not slip, to give them more traction. So if we are to wear the right shoes, they have to help us be steady and ready. Steadiness. So a runner, when they're in the blocks waiting for the gun, they're not in a passive position. I was going to like do an example of it and get down on the floor, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm too old for that now. But if you've ever seen a runner... They are poised. 
They've done all the work, all of that slapping and moving and jumping and everything else is done, and they are in a steady position, not moving. They are told that they've got to be set. They are steady in the blocks. And I think for us to be steady, we don't physically need those little tacks, but what we do need is to, and it says in verse 15, put on the peace that comes from the good news. So we need to put on peace. Where can we safely assume that peace will come from this morning? Jesus, correct. Yes, I can go home now. Everyone's learned. (laughs) Our grounding and footing needs to be in the peace that Jesus brings. Where is it that we look for peace in our own lives? Do we look for it in more money? People think money solves all the problems. But there are people who've got loads of money that are broken and distressed and in chaos in their lives. So people, so money, scientifically, cannot be a bringer of peace. Do we find it in making sure that our situation is right, that everything is exactly how we want it to be, that our life is on the trajectory that we've planned, that we know? Good luck. <laughs> if you find that that is the case in your life, you can come and tell us all how you've managed that. Making your situations and circumstances all right won't achieve peace. Peace can only come from knowing who Jesus is and knowing his freedom in your chaos. In Galatians 5.1, it says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery means the patterns of this world. The way of the world, what it offers is the burden, the yoke of slavery. That we're trying to strive for things to make our lives better, that are physical, that are practical, that are what we can see with our eyes. That this burden, this yoke of slavery is what this world is trying to offer us. And we have been called from that into freedom. To stand firm is to take an active position. We are to defend our peace and freedom. And I don't mean against people in this world. Because I I read it this morning. It says, our fight is clearly not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities of the unseen world, against the things that come in that that aren't part of what we do, of of our lives in this physical realm, that, that people, yes, people come up against us, like, Paul is in prison. He is literally physically being oppressed by people every day, and he is the one that is saying it's not against flesh and blood. So it's not like he's sat at home having a lovely time saying this. This guy is being oppressed by people. What he's saying is, is, yes, oppression does come from people, but actually the more important thing is recognize where where evil comes from, where where the actual uh, struggle should be held is in the spiritual realm. And I think sometimes we get scared of the spiritual realms because we don't understand it. So we want to try and stay practical. But the reality is, is there is another realm out there that seeks to destroy souls. And we are part of a kingdom that wants to stop that and is pushing against it. So we are going to get oppression in that world. The fight for our peace and freedom for us will mainly happen in our mind. I think the reason that we struggle with peace is because we don't fully embrace the love and the freedom that God has for us. 
We don't fully understand it. Paul goes on in Galatians 5 to say, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Paul calls it out again, fight your flesh. That is our old self, our sinful nature, the man that I was talking about. Do not let your earthly worries or your earthly desires remove your focus from the steadiness that you have in who God is. Do not waver off your block. Stick your heels down and stand firm in who God is. As I was thinking about this, just who of us at times feel as though that Christianity is a restriction, not a freedom? I'm, I'm going to be honest. There are some times when I'm going through life and I'm looking as though Christianity is a restriction and not a freedom, but we're told in the word that we should be the freest people on the planet. We should have a freedom and a peace that the world wants, but why is it that we so often feel as though we're struggling to sell a better deal than the one the world has to offer? Let's be honest. Why is it that we do that? Why is it that we make allowances? Why is it that we're looking, saying, I'm struggling to give you a reason why this way is better? And I think it's because when we think of worldly freedom and worldly peace, actually what that is is what I can get out of it. Worldly freedom and peace says is my worldly freedom, my worldly peace. What I can get out of it. But actually true freedom and true peace focuses on what I can give to it. Not what I can take from it. You know, you didn't come to Jesus because you were smarter than everybody else in the room. You didn't figure something out, and now you're reveling in the beauty of your own understanding. You came because Christ, the Prince of Peace, called you first and offered you salvation and good news. He gave of himself. So I can let, I can, I'm going to say this with an asterisk. I can let go of my worries and anxiety because I know how much he loves me. I say it with an asterisk because that's not easy to do. But why is that not easy to do? Why is it when it's written in black and white in the word, why is it that we know it in our head? And Bryony said it this morning. Sometimes we know it, but sometimes we just don't feel it. And I think it's because sometimes we don't really understand how much Jesus loves us. How much Jesus loves us. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Truly loves you. He gave, gave his life. He gave his all. He gave his everything. For you. For you, for you, for you, for you. knowing that you are designed and created by your God for his purpose and plans, and that you are precious in his sight, that you are a new creation, you are a son or a daughter of the living God, that he knows you and he still chose you. He knows you and he still chose you. He knows everything. He knows, he knows your life. He knows your struggles. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. And he still chose you. You know, we'll, we'll find peace not in getting all of our stuff together, 
but by leaning into Jesus, knowing he has all of his stuff together. What we need to remember is, is, like I said, Paul is writing it from prison. We're not hearing empty words from somebody who isn't experiencing oppression in this life. But he understands that his life in that moment goes to God. Our peace and our freedom is complete in what we give to God. In Ephesians 3, 16 and 17, it says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resource, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. There is nothing about situational circumstances he's writing this. It is all about standing firm in Christ. He goes on to tell us what will give us peace. He says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. May you experience the love of Christ, not just know it in your mind, that it is there in black and white, but in your every day that you would experience the love of Jesus. How long, how high, how wide, how vast, how deep is God's love for us? The experience of it changes us and gives us freedom. It is where we find our steadiness, not in what's going on around us, but through the love of Jesus. For us to be steady, to stand firm in the gospel of peace, we must embrace how much we are loved. We must embrace how much we are loved. You are loved. You are loved by the one who could have thrown the stones and didn't. He didn't. He chose to love you. Going back to our race analogy, once the runners are set, the race director shouts on your marks. And the runners get into brace position. They kind of sit up on their toes. They're no longer flat-footed. They tested the blocks. They know that the blocks are steady and secure, and they are now ready. They are ready for the gun. This is our readiness. So we know that our blocks, our firm foundation is Jesus. What are we ready for? What are we expecting once that gun goes off? I find it interesting that most racers keep their heads down. Have you noticed that? Like most racers keep their heads down when they're on the marks. I think it must be to do with like the way that they, I don't know, propulsion or something. I mean, I love sport, but give me a break. (coughs) The thing about our life is, is that it isn't like a hundred meter race. It's not perfectly straight. We can't just see the end. You can imagine if you were, if you had your head down, you were on the blocks, you put your head down, and you thought you were doing a 100-meter race, and as soon as you get going, you see the hurdles in front of you. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? Can you imagine that? That's kind of more what our life is like. Our expectation is, is potentially this 100-meter race where it's straight and narrow, and we've got an idea of what would be going on. But as soon as we go, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle.
there's something that I find really fascinating about about athletes. I just I, I quite enjoy kind of figuring out what's going on in their minds. I love commentary, like Helen will tell you, if we're ever watching anything and I say something before the commentator, I'm like, look, I told you. I like to think I could be a commentator. I'd be rubbish because I don't know people's names. But what I find fascinating is is that when you get to a certain level uh, as an athlete, there is there are certain things that that they kind of attribute to um, ability, and then there are certain things that they attribute to kind of learning. And I read this guy; he's called Bob Bowman, and he is Michael Phelps' swimming coach. And what he would do is, while Michael Phelps was kind of training. He would do things like step on Phelps' goggles just before he was getting into the water so that they would break. And he was deliberately preparing him for distraction. You know, a slight pause or a slight hesitation in swimming can actually amount to losing between half a meter or more in a race. And if you're doing what Michael Phelps did, half a meter or more is, you need that kind of stuff. And Phelps recalls this. And he said that in the 2008 Olympics, he could not see for the last two lengths of the butterfly and he switched his focus on counting his strokes. He won that gold medal, and he is the most successful and most decorated Olympian of all time with a total of 28 medals. He had focus. In his book, Podium, What Shapes a Sporting Champion, Ben Oakley says this, this ability to shut out all external distraction and focus on something all champions become very good at over time. They are not born with it. They unknowingly learn and refine it time and time again as they compete from a young age. Now, we aren't professional athletes, but we can learn from them. How often are there small distractions in our lives that annoy us? Those small moments that we look at and it's just, I could do without this today. I don't know who I, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, oh, I think it was Helen I was talking to. She was like, it's just going to be one of those days. I woke up and this happened, and then I woke up and that happened, and now I spilt my tea. And she was like, that's it, the day's over. It was like, it was like 8.30 or something in the morning. And we were laughing. But all of these little distractions, all of these little niggles that kind of come into our lives and remove our focus from Jesus, we can learn from those things. We have the ability to learn how to focus. And sometimes, you know, I often... I often get annoyed and I think, God, I, I could have just done without this today. You could have just easily taken this from me. Why has this happened to me today? I can deal with it, but it's so blooming annoying. You know, I think I was talking with Mary and she said she had a flat tire and she had to like stop every half an hour. She could have done without that on a day that was raining. But I think sometimes we view these things as frustrations and annoyances where they could be lessons for us to learn how to focus. In those moments, the, the situation may not change, but our focus and our hearts and our attitudes can. So what should our focus be? Put on the peace that comes from the good news. Our focus should be on Jesus. He is the good news. When we are ready, when we are getting ready, we need to be ready to move with the gospel of peace, with the prince of peace, the good news of who Jesus is. Church, we want to affect the community that God is calling us to. We want to see people's lives transformed 
And we know that the only way that this can happen is through knowing Jesus and having our eyes fixed on Jesus. It starts with us. It's not about us convincing others. The idea is it says in the Bible, they will know because of the way that you love one another. And that love has to come from Christ. It has to come from Christ. We cannot do it on our own. It says in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. The good news that it is God who reigns, that this life is temporary and that God is permanent. That is what we should be sharing. We're not here to debate whether or not there are certain uh, doctrines in the Bible that we should be looking at. We're not here to debate whether creation is in seven days or over a period of time. We are here to share that Jesus Christ came to save us, to change us, and to make a way for us to have a relationship with the God of heaven. That is what we are here to do. We are to be peace bearers focused on Jesus who in all life's trials and chaos, he didn't buckle under the pressure of the world, but he remained in peace. And he went through everything. You read about his life. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. He went through all the turmoils. Roger, you're going to have to edit that out. I sound like an idiot. Quite a poignant moment, that, isn't it? Ruined it. Roger Kipling wrote a poem, If. I think it's a beautiful poem. There's lots of verses, but this is what it says in the first verse. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good nor too wise. And he's saying this is the idea at the very end. He says, then you will be a man, my son. The idea is, is that if you do all of these practices, if you do all of this stuff, then you will be a man or a woman. And he goes on in more verses. And as I kept reading it, I was looking at it going, this is all great stuff. But it's not achievable without Christ. To keep your head when all about you are losing theirs. I need Jesus. To have trust in what I'm doing and believing that I'm right, even when others are doubting. I need Jesus. To have patience. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. For me to be ready and for me to be steady, I need Jesus. You know, our lives won't be a straightforward 100-meter running track. It will be chaos. There will be pain. There will be heartache. But we can have peace through our circumstances, and we can have a steady foundation when all around us is crumbling, and we can only find it in Jesus. That is what this world is craving for. They are craving and they need the Prince of Peace. Horatio Spafford, he is a legend in this church. He never was in our church. He's too old. He died a long time ago. 
He's been mentioned before, but he wrote a hymn after a traumatic time in his life. Here's, here's what happened. In the Great Fire of Chicago, Spafford lost all of his fortune, because it was all in, um, in buildings, and a four-year-old son. After this, he planned to take his family to England to aid in a D.L. Moody evangelistic campaign. And in a late change of plan, he sent his family ahead while he was delayed on business. And while crossing the Atlantic, the ship that had his wife and surviving children sank rapidly after a collision, and all four of Spafford's remaining daughters died. His wife Anna survived, and he sent him now this, this famous telegram that just said, saved alone. Shortly afterwards, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. He wrote this, when peace like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't think that Spafford was able to write those words because in that moment he was strong enough to do so. I think there are times when God comes in a moment and shares with us his peace. I do believe that. But I think that Spafford was able to write those words because he spent time practicing the presence of Jesus throughout his life. He steadied his feet that made him ready when the time came. He was able to share the peace of the good news of Jesus even in his suffering. In that verse, he actually wrote, taught me to know you know, we, we sing, taught me to say. But I think there is a significance in not just saying, but knowing. He's taught me to know. It is well, it is well with my soul. Do you know, because of how much Jesus loves you, that regardless of your situation and circumstance, it is well with your soul? He goes on to write this, and this is where I, I think he, he spent his life practicing the presence of Jesus. He says, he says this, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Where we have gone wrong with our lives, the separation that happens as a result of things that go on in our lives, our doubts, our pains, our suffering, um, our sins, things that we know we've done wrong, the things that should separate us from God are removed because of Christ Jesus, because it is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Do not let the principalities and powers of the world that we cannot see rob you of the joy of your salvation because you are worried that your, your sin or your situations or your circumstances or your doubt somehow knock down the bridge between you and God. It is not true. Christ has come in completion to save you from all of that. It is through Jesus, his death and resurrection, are free.
Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk. 